the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. SRN News. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. God put in men and women a desire to enjoy sexual pleasures within the context of marriage and he's told us that this is good, but the desire of the flesh turns sex into something that people are preoccupied with and controlled by. These are the desires, the drives of the flesh. And you can go on and on with all of this. Every single legitimate desire man corrupts because he's fallen. That's what Paul is talking about. I did a search for the most lethal poison known to mankind. Wikipedia says that the title belongs to botulinum toxin the toxin that causes botulism. A lethal dose, they say, is a 1.3 to 2.1 nanograms per kilogram of body weight. If my calculations are correct, that's roughly 16 billionths of an ounce. That's billionths with a B to kill a 180-pound person. But you know what? Sin is even more deadly. Thankfully, though, Jesus has the cure. In fact, he is the cure for our sin. Hi, I'm glad you can join us today for Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're in the midst of a study of Ephesians chapter 2 about the power of God in salvation. Many years ago, a friend of mine told about a little boy who threw a temper tantrum because his mother wouldn't let him have his way. He flopped down on the floor and started kicking and screaming. Then he started to spit on the floor. His mother shouted at that point, Jimmy, the devil's making you do that. You stop it right now. Well, Jimmy paused and looked up and then calmly said, The devil's making me kick and scream, but the spitting's my own idea. <laughs> Jimmy seems to see something that we often miss. The world and Satan do have a powerful influence, but we are the ones responsible for our sin because sin is in our very nature from the day we are born. What's so great about this passage in Ephesians is how Paul highlights God's power and grace in saving us from such helplessness and fallenness. Here's Pastor Steve with more on the power of God in salvation. Prior to our conversion, everyone, without any exception, lived a certain way. We lived, he says, in the lust of our flesh. So what does he mean by that expression? The lust of the flesh. Well, in order to understand Paul here, we do need to, to know the meaning of the words that he's using, specifically the words lust and the words flesh. Well, concerning lust, it's really not too hard to understand that word. Lust simply means strong desire. It's not always negative. Sometimes it is, and it's certainly, although we usually associate the word lust with sexual lust, the Greek word is much broader than that. It, it simply means, and Paul is using it here in its broadest sense, to speak of strong desires. That's all it means. Before we were saved, we lived with very strong desires. 
And these desires stemmed from what Paul calls the flesh. So what does he mean by the flesh? Well, here we have to do a little bit of thinking because the Bible uses the word flesh a number of different ways. And how do we know then how he's using it? Well, context always determines how a word is used. Sometimes this word flesh is used to refer to mankind in general. Scripture says all flesh is as grass. It means human beings, mankind in general. We're all like grass in that we wither, we pass away. Other times the word flesh is used to speak of our bodies. As when Job said, I shall see him, meaning God, in my flesh. He means I'll I'll see God in my physical body. But what Paul means by the word flesh here in Ephesians 2 isn't mankind in general or the human body, at least not at this point. He's not referring to the human body. He's referring to the corrupt nature of man, man in sin, his sinful nature that is opposed to God. In other words, the flesh here means everything in man that is opposed to God. I want you to see how Paul used this in another setting, Galatians chapter 5. The way he used it in Galatians, that explains how he's using it here in Ephesians. Galatians chapter 5, a passage that you are very familiar with. Galatians 5 verse 16, Paul said, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of what? The flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. The flesh, both in Galatians 5 and in Ephesians 2, the flesh speaks of everything in sinful man, his mind, his affections, his body, his desires, that's in opposition to God. That's how Paul is using it here. So Paul says that at one time, all of us walked prior to our conversion In the desires of our flesh. That is to say that what we desired before we were saved totally stemmed from our fallen natures that were opposed to God. What Paul wants us to understand is that the reason for our sinful behavior wasn't simply some outside force that was influencing us. The world. The devil. Demons. If we didn't have this verse here, we might conclude that's what Paul is teaching. Well, you walked according to the course of the world, so it's somebody else's fault. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, so it's Satan's fault. You walked according to the demon, so it's the demon's fault. That's not what he's teaching. We behave the way we did because of the lusts of our flesh. Selfish sinfulness that desired whatever we thought would make us feel good or advance our cause. In other words, we were the problem. Not Satan, not the world. They influenced us, but we're the problem. This is how we all lived, in total disobedience to God because our corrupt natures were all about us, self-centeredness, the total promotion of ourselves. That's man's problem. Now understand what Paul is doing. He is painting a picture of all men without Christ. He's telling the Ephesians, this is the way you were. So that we can get an accurate understanding of how needy we were for God to exert his power in our lives. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We had no life. We were dead. 
We walked in the ways of the world under the domination of Satan and demons, living in total disobedience to God, under the control of these strong and selfish desires that were all in opposition to God. In essence, we were totally polluted so that our entire thinking and behavior, all of it was given over to the lusts of the flesh concerning the fact that the lusts of the flesh involve the whole man and how this affects the way we view God and man and salvation Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this in his commentary on Ephesians. He said, when Adam fell, the whole man fell. It was not merely his body that fell. Everything in Adam fell. His mind, his affections, his will, the whole man fell. And it's because so many in their theological systems, note this, because so many in their theological systems do not realize that, that they go astray. They make the term refer only to the sensuous part of man's nature and therefore their whole outlook must be wrong. They think that they can choose salvation. Almost that they can save themselves and decide to be sanctified and so on. They have never realized the totality of man's fall in sin. The whole man is involved. Those are brilliant words. He's absolutely right. See, Paul is arguing. He's arguing for how lost we were before Christ saved us. How hopeless we were. How helpless we were. Because we were dead in sins and trespasses, living our lives as if God just didn't exist, totally consumed with ourselves, having strong desires that were all in opposition to God, and it all stemmed from this polluted, depraved nature that was ours, fallen. Now, having stated his case in a general way, and that's what Paul has just done, in a general way, that we lived in the lusts of our flesh, opposed to everything that was of God, Paul now states this in two very specific ways. The way that we lived our lives, lived out in the lust of our flesh. He gets very specific. He does this in order to illustrate how the lust of the flesh manifested itself in our lives before we were saved. Verse 3 goes on to say, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, Paul says that the way we lived in the lusts of our flesh was that we indulged in desires having to do with our flesh and with our minds. Now, the word he uses here for desires, it's different than the word he used that is translated lust. Just think with me for a moment. This particular word translated desire, it really means the will, someone's will. In the sense that our wills urge us into action. They command us to to get up and get something. We speak of a strong-willed child as someone who is determined to get his or, or her way. To assert their will over their parents' will. That's what Paul is talking about. This word desire carries with it the thought then of determination, of unbreakable resolve. Perhaps the best word that... That describes this word for desire would be the word driven, compelled. To, to desire something is to be driven to get what you want. It is this will that urges you and drives you on. So then what Paul is saying is this. Prior to our conversion, we were driven. Driven. But, but driven by what? 
By what? Well, Paul says the desires of the flesh, driven by the flesh. And understand this, by flesh, he now means our physical bodies. I told you it could be used for that. It is used for that here. How do you know? Because it's used in contrast to our minds. First, he used it in a generic sense of our polluted nature. Now he uses it, the body as opposed to the mind, to thinking. So what does Paul mean by the desires of the flesh or the desires of our bodies? Well, it's important to understand there are certain desires that our bodies have that are very normal and they're good. Not every desire that a body has is bad. For example, the desire for for food and water, that's good, that's right. You'd be abnormal you don't have that desire for rest, for sleep, for relaxation, even for sexual pleasure within the context of marriage. God made our bodies to desire certain things. But once man became a fallen creature, a fallen sinner, those legitimate desires turned into cravings that took control of him. And it drove him to the point where he feels like he must have them. So that these desires now become idols that drive him to take them. Those desires of the flesh now control him so that he lives to have them. Let me illustrate this. For example, there's nothing wrong with having the desire for some rest, some sleep, some relaxation. Those are legitimate desires. But sleep and rest and relaxation can If we're not careful, they can turn into a craving that involves laziness. An idol that we live for and we can't function without. I have to have my rest. I have to have my sleep. I have to to go on vacation. I must have this. I must have some relaxation. I must come home from work and watch television all night and just relax my mind. Or take the example of food. God has given us food to enjoy and to sustain us. And we're thankful for good food. But if you live to eat rather than eat to live, if you live to eat and you become gluttonous to the point where you love food and you're controlled by this craving to just have it, it's become a desire of the flesh. Same thing applies to the area of sex. God put in men and women a desire to enjoy sexual pleasures within the context of marriage, and he's told us that this is good, but the desire of the flesh turns sex into something that people are preoccupied with and controlled by. These are the desires, the drives of the flesh, and you can go on and on with all of this. Every single legitimate desire man corrupts because he's fallen. That's what Paul is talking about. But it isn't only our bodies that have these sinful drives. Paul goes on to speak of the mind, and this is important because there are some people who who think that they're morally superior to others, and they would look at the drives of the flesh and say, oh, I don't do those things. But everybody's involved in the desires of the mind. The mind has these desires too. Paul says, and the desires of the mind, and what he means by mind is simply our thought, our thoughts, our thought life. It involves our attitudes, our affections, how we think. In other words, talking about such mental attitudes that can be pride and jealousy, hatred, malice, anger, bitterness, our values, our ambitions, selfish ambitions, on and on it goes. Listen, what Paul is talking about 
is that because we are sinners, fallen sinners, dead sinners, before conversion, our minds longed for things in such a way that we started to live for those things. Started to live for those things that we were thinking about. Just thinking about them. Legitimate thoughts moved into illegitimate thoughts where those thoughts controlled us. Everybody understands that. Everybody understands that. Those thoughts dominated us, controlled us. Here's the way one Bible teacher explained the desires of the mind. He said, for example, literature, art, music, drama, philosophy. These things are good, but not if you live for them. And you can include a host of things. You include sports in this. Not, he says, if they master you. Not if they have become a drive in your life which you cannot control. I would add to it not only sports but a hobby. Work can do this. Anything. Reading can do this. I I must read the latest book. I must see what this new novel is about. Even knowledge. This pursuit of knowledge is good, but if it controls you to the point where you, you are obsessed with it, it's wrong. So Paul is telling us that that we were, before conversion, sinners through and through. We sin by, be, by letting our bodies, the bodily desires, control us, and we sin by letting our mental desires control us as well. Now, why did we live like this? Why did we let our bodies and minds be so controlled by our lusts? Well, Paul tells us why in the very last phrase of verse 3. He says, and this is that part that's so offensive to some people, and we're by nature children of wrath. We behave this way because it was our nature to behave this way. We were born like this. We were born with a sinful nature that only knew how to sin. See, we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We inherited our sin nature from our parents, and they inherited it from their parents, and it goes all the way back to Adam. And because we are sinners by nature, Paul says that we are objects of God's wrath. He calls us children of wrath because our sin has placed us under the condemnation and judgment of God. So significant, so important because God is holy. And he despises sin. He abhors it. He hates it. But we came into this world being sinners. Doing nothing but sinning. Enslaved to our various lusts. Both in our bodies and in our thoughts. Following the course of this world. Following Satan. Dead in our trespasses and sins. And for this we were under God's condemnation in his wrath. And if we had continued like this and died in this condition, then we would have gone to hell, bearing the punishment and wrath of God for all of eternity. Now that's Paul's argument in the first three verses of Ephesians 2. We were hopeless, helpless, completely dead, hostile in attitude towards God, objects of his wrath, because our nature was polluted and fallen and sinful, And we evidenced our sinful hearts by craving for certain things that we made idols of. And as I said, if we had died in that condition, we would have spent the rest of our existence, which means forever, in hell itself. But this God, 
who we sinned against like this, he didn't let this happen to us. By his grace, he became a man so that he could be punished in our place. So that on the cross, he experienced the wrath of God the Father in our place. The wrath that we deserved. He was judged for it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the mind, all those lusts, all those drives that we were guilty of, they were placed upon the precious and sinless Son of God. And then, by his mercy and by his power, he drew us to himself. He broke into our lives. He made us alive. He gave us life. He regenerated us so that we could now understand our need for salvation. We could see our sinfulness. We could see God's holiness. We could see the truth about Jesus Christ. That he came to save us from our sins. And he gave us the faith to believe and repent and trust Christ. That's what we're going to see the next time we study Ephesians. But listen, if you are a Christian... I hope that you can see how helpless and hopeless you once were. Because if you don't, it certainly doesn't change your salvation. But if you don't, you'll never appreciate what God has done for you as much as you would if you've seen this. You'll never be as grateful to God for your salvation as you should be if you don't see where you came from, how hopeless you were. And if you're not a Christian, then understand how hopeless your condition still is. There's nothing that can deliver you from the wrath of God except Jesus Christ alone. His mercy, his power. So turn to him before it's too late, meaning before you die. Nobody knows when they're going to die. Turn to Christ while you can hear his voice speak to you. Let's pray. Father, we pray for those here, those hearing this message somewhere that you'll open their hearts to Christ, that they will see that there is nothing that could save them apart from your mercy and power. I pray for some to turn to you and be converted, that they would see how wicked they really are. And those who are self-righteous, Lord, may you cut them down and, and prick their conscience that they see their sinfulness. May they see your holiness. May they see your mercy and grace and turn to you. And for those of us, Lord, who who do know you, we thank you for saving us. Show us, Lord, how bad we really were so that we would see how good you are. And Lord, we still struggle with the lust of the flesh. We still struggle, all of us, with the lust of the mind. The difference now is that we don't have this all the time. It's a struggle now. So help us by the sanctifying grace of your word and the spirit who lives in us to not let bodily desires control us, to not let the things of our minds control us. May we be under the control of your word. May we have your desires and your thoughts, and may we not feed the wrong desires, but starve them by saturating our minds with your word. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've probably heard this quote by C.S. Lewis, but I think it's worth repeating. He said, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, he said. But that is our condition without Christ, isn't it? We cannot imagine the wonders that God has in store for us, and we're all too content with chasing after our own dreams. God wants to lift us out of that slum. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to know more about Lakeside, visit the website www.lakesidechapel.com or call 727-239-0306. Call that number two if you have questions about salvation. That's 727-239-0306. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. We have today's program along with hundreds of previous programs available for listening or downloading at our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. So far in our study of Ephesians 2, things have looked a little grim. The Apostle Paul had made it quite clear that in our pre-saved condition, we are completely helpless, totally ensnared in our sin. Next time on Verse by Verse, we'll move on to those wonderful words that follow, starting in verse 4 with, But God. For Pastor Steve Kreloff, this is Jerry Peterson inviting you to be here for some really good news. God was there. Long before the struggle, God was there. Someone want to ask somebody that was going through a trial, this is where was God when the tragedy happened? The answer was the same place he was when it was all good. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.